Good news, bad news. Who can say? There was a Chinese farmer who had finally racked up enough money to be able to purchase a horse. He was so excited, he brought the horse home, and within a day, the horse ran away. Well, then there's also this nosy neighbor that he has that approached him and said, man, that's a bummer, your horse ran away. And the farmer said, good news, bad news, who can say? Well, then that very next day, the horse came back, and he didn't come back alone. He came back with another horse. And that same nosy neighbor ran out and said, wow, you hit the jackpot. You got two horses now. And the calm farmer said, good news, bad news. Who can say? Well, now that the farmer had two horses, he couldn't ride both of them, so he allowed his son to ride one. His son was out riding one day, and the horse just bucked him off, and he fell, broke his leg. And the neighbor saw it, and he came out and said, wow, that's messed up. Your son broke his leg. And the farmer says, good news, bad news, who can say? Well, within that same week, the country went to war, and the emperor called out all his men to go and seek out every able man that was in the country, take them and get them prepared to fight the war. Well, what do you know? They approached the farmer's house and they went to get his son, but they found out that his son had a broken leg. He could not fight in the war. And so his son was spared from being sent out to war. Now that's good news, right? So in this story, you see this roller coaster ride of good news happening, Bad news happening, good news happening. But one thing the farmer does is he stays even kill. Good news, bad news. Who can tell? Right? And so it makes you think about our life. And we have those same ups and downs in our life. But oftentimes when things happen in our life, those downs, we're so quick to just focus in and zoom in on, on what's happening with us and then play the victim card. It might be a job loss that you had. Or maybe even during this time you, you've had your hours cut. Or... You've had a relationship that ended, and you say, why did this happen to happen to me? Why me? And then the classic line of, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. It's almost as if when we were born in the hospital, we signed, we didn't sign, maybe our parents signed, a, a fairness agreement that everything in life that would happen to us would be good, and that it would be defined by us as, as fair if everything was good. Well, you and I both know, if you look in the Bible, or even just life experience in general, that every bad situation that we have, for the most part, it, it, it ends up working itself out. It's not as bad as we initially think it is. And, and sometimes we don't know why. And, and in Ecclesiastes 8, Solomon is trying to help us understand that, look, don't, don't seek to be a know-it-all. You don't have to know all the answers to everything. And quite often, trying to be a know-it-all, it just causes so many frustrations. Solomon is the wealthiest and wisest man that has walked the face of this earth. And we, we repeat that over and over again, but I think it's important for us to really conceptualize that, that how wealthy, how wise he is. And that's a good reminder for us to not try to eclipse that at any point. But Solomon even, as we'll read today, he's on an emotional roller coaster. He's struggling with this text. He doesn't understand. He's trying to figure out why things are happening, and he just cannot understand the operations of this life. So what does that mean for us? Well, we won't ever know it all 
Um, and, and I won't even tell you you should go try to know it all. But one thing that we will learn today from this text that I hope that you get from it is there is certain things that you can do to find everlasting joy, whether it's in this current situation that we're in right now or it's the next time in life that you have a situation where you're saying life isn't fair. You'll know exactly what to do once we get finished with today. So if you haven't already, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 8 and we're going to start in verse 1. Verse 1 reads this, who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go out from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause for he, the sinner, the evil person, does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything. Although man's troubles lie heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be. For who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power to power over the death of days. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observe while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. So before we get too far into it, I do want to break down these first three verses because they can be quite challenging when you just take a look at the text and, and try to figure out where, where Solomon is coming from with these verses. And specifically verse one, he starts out with this sarcastic and, and rhetorical question. He says, says, who is like the wise? Well, if you just take that at face value, you try to figure out where is he coming from with this. But where he's coming from is the previous chapter. So in chapter seven, verse 23, Solomon says, all this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find out? So essentially the answer to that question is, is no one is wise. No one. Solomon has the highest pedigree to find out who's wise, but he's even saying no one is wise. Then we get into verse two. It says, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. It could also be read as your oath to God. And where this is coming from is 1 Chronicles 29, 24. And back then, this is where the, the nation of Israel made a pledge and allegiance to follow King Solomon. And then we get into verse 3. It says, be not hasty to go from his presence. So we can relate to this. A lot of times where we have leaders or authorities that make decisions and the first thing we want to do is say, I don't think they should have did that. I, the grass must be greener on the other side. I want to do something different. Solomon is saying, don't be so hasty to, to leave his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause for he, the evil person that he's referring to, the sinner does whatever he pleases. So this is like the, the non-believer's life. Of they don't have any authority, so they feel like, you know what, I can just do whatever I want to. I don't have to report to anybody. Um, this is what Solomon is explaining there. And it made me think, when I was growing up, about sixth or seventh grade, somewhere in there, um, I had grown taller than my mother. And to me, 
in the house, I, that made me an adult at sixth or seventh grade. I was like, you know what? I'm about the same size as an adult. So that made me an adult. And I wasn't a bad kid, but, you know, in my mind, I'm like, I can make some adult decisions. I can start to push back and have my own opinion with things a little bit more. And so I, I think I tested it out a couple times, uh, pushed back probably more than I should have. Uh, but there was, although I was taller than my mom, there was one thing that she could say that would just strike the most fear in my heart. And it was, wait till your dad comes home. <gasps> oh, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay, okay, whatever you want, whatever you want. You see, my mom was about 5'6", five, 5'7". My dad was 6'7", 250 plus pounds. So he was a large man. And so from a stature standpoint, yeah, I had eclipsed my mother, but there was a long way to go for my dad. And one thing my dad didn't play around with is you're not going to be disrespectful to his wife, my mother. So there was a lot of fear in that. But it's one thing for me to fear my dad. Right? But even on a greater scale is the fear that we need to have for God in following his commands. And one of those commands that he specifically gives us is submitting to our authorities. And that brings us to point number one today is we need to submit to the authorities in your life. Submit to the authorities in your life. Who are those authorities? It can be your, your parents. It could be your teachers. It could be your church leaders, your pastors. It could be the government. It could be all the way up to the president of the United States. We are to submit to authorities. Romans 13 verses 1 and 2, Paul puts it out very clearly for us. He says, let every person be subject to governing authorities. If that wasn't enough, he takes it a level deeper. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So you say, what about the worst leader I've had? I've had, you know, a few jobs now. I've had some really bad leaders. God knows they're instituted by God for a reason. Verse 2 says, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Wow, that's powerful, right? Because I know in my mind, I'm thinking, man, there, there's some bad leaders that I had. And even some people that are non-believers who, at the end of the day, their priority in life and their, their ultimate focus in life is, is far different than mine. It's not Christ. So what do I do if it's a non-believer? You submit to their authority. All right, all right, all right. What if I just had a really bad leader? I mean, I look at this leader and I'm like, man, I can run circles around this person. I've had those in my career that, I, that I've thought about, and it's the same answer. Submit to those authorities. Right? There's the one exception clause that we always have there. If, if an authority is, is commanding us to, to sin, then that's where our exception clause. But that, that's not typically the case. Uh, we try to use that more so than we need to, but that's not typically the case. But if it happens, then that's where God says, okay, that's an exception clause. Anything else, we need to submit to the authorities in our life. Um, a couple of them that, that I can think of right now that really hit home for us is our government, right? We're in this COVID-19 situation, and, you know, this was convicting for me as I was even writing this sermon and, and the thought about the shelter in place versus, you know, essential needs. We're quick to make our own essential needs, right? Being here in South Orange County, uh, before they shut down parks and beaches, people, you know, went out and said their essential need is to see the sunset, right? And the beaches were crowded. That was essential to them. But that's very subjective. That's not what the government said. 
you were to go out if you needed to go to the grocery store and other issues, other uh, items that you had. But that's what we do in life. We, we try to make it subjective and make our own rules because it's not going to hurt anybody. It's just one small thing. But we are to submit to our authorities and follow what they say. What about our parents? Right. If you're like me growing up, you know, you, you, you think from a child's perspective, you're like, man, I'm a great child. Like, how hard can it be? Like, my parents should be doing this. My parents should be doing this. And um, I'll tell you from experience, the time that it changed for me is when I became a parent. I was like, whoa. Time out. So one specific thing is my, my parents could really cook good food. And so I wanted, a, I wanted a, like a home-cooked meal every night. And it just didn't happen. And when we had leftovers, I'm like, why can't I get a home-cooked meal? Well, when I became a parent, I finally realized, I'm like, wait a minute. I got to work a full-time job. I have children that I have to take care of. And oh, by the way, when I'm tired and I come home, I, I have to cook? I didn't see that when I was a kid. But as a parent, you know what my favorite food is now? Leftovers. I, I love, I'll eat leftovers the whole entire week. But I remember as a kid, I used to bug my mom. I was like, wait, why can't you cook something tonight? Why can't you cook something tonight? And, so, and now, I, I'll be, sometimes I even call and apologize to her because I'm like, I had no idea. No idea. So with parents, with government, you know, we have an opinion about how they should do things. But most of the time, we, we don't really know. We think we're right. It's like having that, that backseat driver, you know, when you're driving and the person is like, hey, you should park over there. And you're like, well, that's, that, that sign says no parking. They say, ah, don't worry about it, right? Just park there. Nothing's going to happen. And you kind of look at them like, well, if something does happen, are you, you going to pay that bill? And that typically will quiet them up if you haven't used that line before. But typically when, when you don't have any skin in the game, when you don't have any accountability uh, or that or repercussion for something bad can happen. Yeah, you have all the opinions in the world. But we oftentimes don't really know. Verse 7 says, For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be. So the, this, this who and what about life in general it, it's driving Solomon crazy because he just can't figure it out. It, it's causing so much misery and, and, and frustration that he, he's, he's just fed up with it. And there's a difference between feeling and, and actually knowing something. Uh, a meteorologist, for example, you watch the weather. Uh, most of the time when you, you hear them talking, there's a phrase that they use. They don't ever come out and say, the weather is going to be this. What they say is, the forecast calls for this. It's because they've done research, they've done a lot of things, and they have a good feeling about what's going to happen. But they, they don't know for a fact. They can't put it out there that they know. Right? And that's because we have limitations in life. And Solomon gives us these limitations in, in verse 8. He gives us four of them. He says, no man can grasp the spirit. And so the, the spirit there is the wind, right? You, you can feel the wind. You know when the wind is there, but yet we can't quite grasp it, right? That's, we know about life, but we can't quite grasp and have a full understanding of it. No one can postpone the day of death. It doesn't matter how much you eat healthy, how much you work out. You're not going to postpone death. Your, your last day is already set. There's no discharge from the midst of battle. That battle that he's talking about is the, the battle of life that ultimately ends in death. There's nobody that's going to be discharged from that. It's going to happen. Death is going to happen for all of us. Nor will the wickedness deliver those who are given over to it. So he's saying, you know, even if you're like, you know, I, I can't do this. I'm, I'm just 
going to be wicked, right? I'm going to join that party. The wicked won't prevail, right? They won't prevail at the end. God is going to prevail at the end. So even when we get to this point, it seems like Solomon is coming to a point of understanding. He's like, you know what? I think I get it. I think I get it. But then when we get to verse 10, Solomon's frustration just kicks in again. Right? And he's just like he's fed up again. And you can just see it. So let's read what causes him to be fed up. Verse 10 starts off like this. It says, then I saw the wicked buried. And you think, like, what's the big deal with that? Well, in ancient Israel during that time, it was an honorable gesture to bury the dead. Right? And so Solomon is saying, why are we burying these people? It continues on. It said, they used to go in and out of the holy place, and they, they were praised in the city where they had done these things. So the same place where they wreaked so much havoc, they did all of this evil works, they were getting praised when they were, when they were dead. This is also vanity. Verse 11, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of children of man is fully set to do evil. So if you hear this, Solomon's sort of trying to give his opinion here. He's like, God, hello, if you if you just speed it up with the judgment that they deserve, then people probably won't continue to behave wickedly or it won't cause other people to behave wickedly because they think that uh, those are those individuals are getting away with it. Verse 12 says, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life. Watch this. Solomon changes here. He says, yet I know that it will still be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. So you see. Solomon has this frustration and then he has this aha moment of saying like, well, you know what? Even if it doesn't doesn't seem like it's going well for those that are obeying God, in the end, they will prevail. It will be well for them. And so Solomon is sharing his frustrations here. You can kind of sense the frustrations that he's having. And they're over injustices, the injustices that he's seeing in life about the the wicked that seems like they're prevailing. And it, it made me think about us. And again, going back to that common language that we use, is it's just not fair. It's not fair. But when you think about it, what, what is fair? Like, who determines what's fair? How do we get that? Right? It's a gift from God to be able to understand and for him to give us a conscience to know right from wrong. What we can justify as fair or unfair. Um, and... Put it like this. If you were to go over to a, a foreign country and go to a, a jungle tribe, you know, they're as far distant, distant from re- reality than, than anybody. Right? If you go over there and steal something from their tribe, they don't have to go to a law book and say, hey, was that good or bad? That's good or bad. They know that's bad. You took something from them that didn't belong to you. And they're probably going to try to hurt you for it. But that's our conscience. And that's a gift from God that he's given us that that his moral standard is hardwired in us for us to understand that. But the problem here is we tend to misuse it and we, we, we make it subjective to us. What's right and wrong for us? You know, working at 24 hour fitness and, and just working period, I, I've interviewed a lot of people. And the most common complaint that you'll get from people um, 
in any corporate setting is unfair hiring practices. So if somebody interviews for a job and they're not selected, they get so emotional and wrapped up that they think it's just not fair. There's nobody out there that could have been better for them. And typically the people that complain the most about this are the ones that lack self-awareness the most. And oftentimes, although I never said it, I wanted to be like, you're not that good. You're just not that good. I wouldn't say that. I never said that before. But in my mind, I really wanted to say that sometimes to people. Uh, But typically during that feedback conversation that I would have with them is, look, we selected somebody that was more qualified. And I don't focus on the qualified person because it's not about them at the time. It's about the person that didn't get the job. And I want them to understand exactly the reasons why I selected somebody else over them. And here are some of the opportunities and the weaknesses that they had that would have shown up in that new job that maybe would have made them unsuccessful. So the goal is during that feedback section se- session is to help them understand some of those blind spots that they have and give them the full context of why they weren't selected so that they don't fill their minds with things. And so God has the, uh, uh, an entire viewpoint of things. We have this little limited viewpoint. And so even for God, like he, he has this viewpoint from beginning to end that we don't have. And we need to understand that. And that brings us to point number two is we need to keep focus on God's expectations for you. Keep focus on God's expectations for you. Too many times we're we're worried about, you know, what's happening with that person? Why are they getting that opportunity? Well, that's not fair. Why, Why did they have to do that? We shouldn't be worried about that. We should be worried about what God has placed in front of us and not to look around and figure out what's going on with everybody else, but look up and figure out what God is calling and, 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 and asking for a response from you on. What is he trying to teach you during these situations? Uh, and sometimes we misunderstand the judgment piece of it here. We, fit, we want people to, to feel judgment right now when they're doing evil. And we, we misunderstand God's common grace. So if somebody's just healthy, right, they got a, they got a nice family, right, they, they got a little money, uh, that, that, that can be God's common grace that he bestows upon all of us, right? Um, but sometimes we look at that and say, well, that's not fair that they, they're getting that. In, in our view, it seems like they're just they're, they're progressing through life and, and they're winning for way too long. Well, 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9 helps us understand this. And it says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. A chance to repent. A chance to repent is what God is giving when he extends time in our view. Like we we think that it's lasting a lot longer. He's giving a chance to repent. And if you're not a believer of Jesus Christ, my challenge and my, my exhortation to you right now is come to Christ. God is giving you additional opportunity. It's just not that you're living life right and you got some few extra days and years under your belt. God is giving you a chance to, to come to repentance, change your, change your life, live for him. That's what this extra time is for. Any day that we walk here on earth and you're an unbeliever, that's the, ch- the time that you have is to repent. It's all throughout scripture. I'm going through the kids Bible survey with my my kids right now and we're in the Old Testament and pretty much after Isaiah um, all the way through the Old Testament, you get uh, prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet. And right now, my son, like he soon as we started talking, he was like, is this person a prophet, too? 
is this person calling people to repentance? And, and I'm like, yes, praise God for that. Praise God, right? For him, he thinks it's just, you know, routine. He's like, just thinking, hey, this person is doing the same thing. He's doing the same thing. He's doing the same thing. It almost seems repetitive. But if you really think about it, God's sending people, prophets, to speak for him primarily to the Israelites to say, turn from your wicked ways, repent. I'm giving you a chance to repent. He's even sending people to Nineveh, um, to foreign places to say, hey, repent. I want to give you a chance to repent. And sometimes we want to just give in, right? It's like the wicked are just winning too much. Man. I, like, I, I want to give up. Don't give up. Jonah almost did that, right? He didn't want to go to Nineveh. He tried to go on a boat to Tarshish to go a different direction. God redirected him, got him to Nineveh. He thought those people should be judged right then and there because of their wicked ways. And guess what? When he preached the good news that God wanted him to share with the people of Nineveh, they changed. They repented. They came to follow God. Praise God for that. We need to do the same thing, and we need to not give up no matter how wicked no matter how long it, it might take for people, don't give up because we know at the end it will be well with us who fear God. And so as we get to verse 12 and 13, this is where Solomon repeats this point. But I do want to clarify something because in verse 12, he says that, you know, that the, the wicked, they prolong their life. But what that is, is, is how, we, how it appears in our mind is like they're getting away with everything. And it seems like life is just progressing for them and, and things are going well. Well, verse 13 is the reality that they're not prolonging their life. It says, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow. So that's the reality there. It seems like a contradiction, but it's not. So what I would say to you is don't worry about the wicked. Right? The wicked will be judged how God is going to judge them, which is far better than anything that, that we can think of, far more just than anything we can think of. It's called the great, great white throne judgment. And that day will come for those who did not submit their life to Christ. Right? And you might even say, well, wickedness has directly impacted me. Well, God will then respond to you with this scripture saying, it will be well for you in the end. It will be well. But Solomon's not done here. He continues to wrestle with this text. So pick it up in verse 14. He says, there is vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of righteous. I said that this is also vanity. And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. We've heard that before from Solomon. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that God has done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes sleep. Then I saw the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However, much man may toil in seeking, he will not find out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find out. So verse 14, he's saying it seems like bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. Right. And it's favorite towards happiness. So let me give you an illustration. Let's just say, for, for example, that you and I were supposed to go to lunch together. Right. I'm, I'm your leader and we're supposed to go to lunch, but I've had to reschedule a lot. Uh, and so we've postponed it, postponed it, and we finally get to that day, and I say, you know what, because I've, I've made you wait so long, 
Let's go somewhere fancy. Let's go to the Cheesecake Factory. All right, I'm going to treat you there. And that day comes, and you get to the Cheesecake Factory, and, and I'm not there. I send you a text and say, hey, my office is about 10 minutes down the street. I'm running a little behind. Go ahead and order appetizers. Well, hour goes by. I don't show up. What's going on in your mind? Well, he stood me up, right? I don't even call you for the rest of that day. You try to call me, it goes straight to voicemail. Okay, now you're upset. But then you get a call from my number that next day. And you, you, you send it to voicemail because you don't want to talk to me, right? You're upset. But on the voicemail, you hear my wife's voice. And she says, hey, I know that Kellen was supposed to meet you at the Cheesecake Factory yesterday. Uh, he got into a major car accident. And he had to have emergency surgery. And so he, that he's just coming out of surgery this morning. And the first thing he said was, hey, make sure you text that person and say, I'm sorry. Um, I meant to be there. And he asked me to send you a $50 gift card to Cheesecake Factory to make up for it until you guys can meet again. In your mind, when I initially stood you up, I was a bad person. Right? But then all of a sudden, you got the full context of why I couldn't be there. And immediately, you're probably like, well, hey, how can I be praying for you? Well, that's our limited view that we have. And that's just a glimpse of the bigger picture of how God can be working things out outside of the view that we have. And we need to trust that. And we need to understand that about our view of life. And that brings us to our final point is understand your limited view of life. Let's take this COVID-19 situation for an example. We're not going to understand why it happened. We prayerfully and Lord willing, we'll have a vaccine here soon that can address the virus. But we're not going to understand God's point behind it. But one thing that we can be sure of is God doesn't waste trials. For every trial that there is, there's a lesson to be learned from it. And we need to be seeking out that lesson. Verse 15 says, and I commend joy, 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 Solomon says. And there's a difference between joy and happiness. We often get that confused, right? Happiness is, is based on circumstances. It can go, it can be up, it can be down. Joy is, is long-term, okay? I'll give you an example. Uh, last night, case in point, um, I was in the other room and my kids were getting ready for bed and all of a sudden I hear a glass shatter. In that moment, I'm not happy, right? I'm like, you have to be kidding me. Um, and so as I go in there, of course, I want to check and make sure that they're okay. But I, I love my kids. They bring me so much joy in the gift that God has given me with them in my life. So it doesn't matter what happened there. Yes, I'm unhappy at the time, but that's not going to breach the joy that they bring me in my life. So for those that, that fear God, there's this joy that, that you'll always have no matter what the trial is in your life. It's all part of God's plans, and we can understand that, and we can know that. Uh, it, it's like, you know, when, when, you're, when you're going through a trial, if, if you don't face that, or excuse me, if you're going through life and you don't face that trial, well, there really wouldn't be any reason for you to look to God. If everything is just perfect in your life, according to you, and there's no trials, it's like being a, a marathon runner, a trainer for a marathon. Let's say you never ran one before, and you start off slow, right? You run, you run one mile, and after you run that one mile, you don't increase the frequency and you don't increase the volume of your training. You just continue to run one mile until race day. Well, I can just tell you, I'm not a marathon runner, but it's not going to serve you well running 26.2 miles on the marathon. And the reason it won't, because you can't just continue to do the same thing and stay at your comfort level 
expecting a different result. It's the same thing with, with God. Is, is he face, if we face these trials in our life, that the goal is that we would look up to him and grow closer to God here. If we don't have those trials, we don't have a reason to grow closer to God. Look, again, no need to try to understand it all, but seek out the lesson that God is trying to give you with his broad view of life from beginning to end. I'm not saying you, you, you can't seek out why things happen. I, I want to be clear on that. You, you can. All I'm saying is don't spend all your time doing that. Solomon says you're not going to, to find out, and all it will cause is frustration in your life. Ecclesiastes 12, 12, towards the end of, of this study that we're going to have, it says, My son, beware of anything beyond these. That these is, is the wisdom that we already have from Scripture. Anything beyond that, beware of it. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is the weariness of the flesh. So that, that much study is, is the worldly learning, the, the self-help books, the, the people that write articles and, and things about, I figured out life. This is, what, this is what it's all about. No, you haven't. And they haven't either. Only God knows the mysteries of this life. But praise God that we can cling to him being the person that knows it. What we need to seek out in those situations is not why did this happen, when, how long is it going to take, it's God, what are you trying to teach me here? How can I use this situation, this trial, and grow closer to you? Verse 16 and 17 talks about that. It talks about no matter how much wisdom a person has, he does not know everything. And that's a disappointment to Solomon, the wisest man. It's a disappointment that he can't know everything. And there's people that might claim that they know everything, but they, they truly don't. And, and working with people all of my life and for most of my, my work and career, is what I found out is the people that tend to bark the loudest and be boastful about they have it all figured out, they're the ones that don't know it at all. And they're, the reason they're doing that is because that they, there's an insecurity in their life. And so they, they're saying these things to make themselves feel better. It makes me think about like a... a, a a Rottweiler. Like my parents used to have this 150-pound Rottweiler. That I love. I used to love walking around the block with them. But one thing that was annoying is these little dogs, like these little Chihuahuas. They would be. They would yap. Yeah! And sometimes I, I never did it, but I wanted to just let let the Rottweiler off the leash, just to just to show the the Chihuahua who's boss. But the Chihuahua is, is small in stature, and and they know that, and they're trying to appear and and come off bigger than what they are, and that's what people do when they think they have it figured out. They they talk a lot and they brag a lot, but they really don't know. They really don't know. God is the one that knows from beginning to end, and we should have joy in knowing that we have a relationship with that person that knows beginning to end. What I do want to clarify is what that doesn't mean is I'm not saying just be lazy about your quest for truth. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you should be on a hot pursuit, a quest to seek out the truth. You might say, well, you know, I don't have time. Or, I'm not a reader or, or I'm just different. Look, I want to be clear. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, then you don't have a good view of eternity. You don't understand eternity, eternity in, in that there's no coming back from eternity. Once eternity starts, that's it. And so if you're not a follower of God, there's two camps. That's all there is. There's not a middle, a middle camp. There's not you know, three heavens. There's not all this. There's, you're either adopted 
into God's family where you will spend eternity in heaven with him or you're an enemy of God. No matter how good you think you are, you're an enemy of God and you will suffer in hell. And I don't want that for you. But you need to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. If you do that, then he will give you the desire to read, to study, to find out more about him. And Lord willing, change your heart. I'm a living testimony of it. I didn't like to read. I didn't like to do too much studying. I didn't want to put in that much effort about something until I started to realize that there was, there was something more. People kept telling me about Jesus Christ and, and, and being saved and giving my life to Christ. And I decided to, I, I needed to go seek God first. And when I sought out God first in his righteousness, he gave me that desire to want to know more about him. He gave me that desire to read the Bible every day and not, not be hard to put it down, to find out more about who he is. And that can be you as well. So going back to our initial illustration, you know, this farmer had a horse that was stolen. And being in South Orange County, most of you don't have horses, uh, but you have cars, right? A lot of you have cars and horses cost a few thousand dollars. Your car probably costs a few thousand dollars as well. Uh, but if your car got stolen, you'd probably be devastated, devastated. But you don't even know what's going to happen after that. You don't know what God has in store for you. You don't know what God is potentially protecting you from. Maybe, maybe that car was going to have an engine failure and it would have caused a fatal accident for you. Maybe, maybe because that car was stolen, it, was, it, it, it drew a lot of attention. And God didn't want you to have all of that attention because it would cause more distractions, more desires that you didn't need in your life. Maybe that was the case. But in the end, we just need to understand we don't need to know the why about stuff. We need to submit to the authorities that God has placed in our life. We need to keep our expectations or keep God's expectations as our focus in life. And then we need to understand that he has a perfect plan. He knows beginning to the end. You don't need to be a know-it-all in this life. But to have everlasting joy in this life, you do need to be in a relationship with the one God the one true God that knows it all. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for this text. Uh, we just see Solomon's emotions just kind of go up and down. He, he's wrestling with this text because it's not an easy one. So much we just want to control in life, so much we want to know every answer to, and, and we want to seek it out. We listen to what people have to say because they sound intelligent, but your word is true and it, it, it is clear here that what we read today is you, you, there's certain things that people won't know, that we're not supposed to know, only you know. But we praise God, just thank you for giving us enough information to know how to be successful in this life. And the one success that we can have in this life is giving our life to you and repenting from our sins so that we can have everlasting joy and spend heaven, eternity, all time with you. Thankful that you gave us this text, Lord. Um, and I pray for people that are, are listening to this text today that you know, they would stop trying to figure it out, but that they would cling upon God and know that he knows it all and we can have so much joy in being in a relationship with the one person that knows all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.